number of years ago. It's now been a number of years. <clears throat> I was involved in a, uh, a mountain bike race in Tucson, and it was, a, it was a day that actually was going pretty well for me. I had about two or three miles left, and I had a good two-minute lead on the rest of my competitors. When I was in a situation like that, two things would go through my mind and I would repeat them over and over and over again until I finished. And those two things were, don't crash and don't flat. That's all I was thinking. Don't crash and don't flat. Well, I adhered to 50% of that. Um, I did crash and, and I crashed rather, um, it was a hard crash. In fact, I didn't realize it until the next day, but it actually broke my frame. But anyways, as I was kind of gathering myself and trying to figure out which, what, did I, what I needed to do and how to get back to my vehicle and finish, finish the race, I was passed by five or six of my competitors. I tell you that story because I learned two lessons that I think are relevant for us today. And the first lesson is that the race is not always to the swift. And number two, life does not always work out as planned. Even though we follow a strategy and we everything seems to be working exactly as we had strategized or planned, things do not always work out as planned and the race does not always go to the swift. So if you will, would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes and we're going to begin reading at chapter 9, verse 11 and we'll read through chapter 10, verse 20, which will be the text that we will consider this morning. So church, listen to the word of the living God. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like flesh that are, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised in his words. Are not heard. The words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make a perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to, to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun. 
as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, and though no man knows what is to be, who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice on some, or some winged creature tell the matter. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Our text begins with the statement that the the race is not always to the swift, nor battle to the strong, or bread to the wise. And then the the prophet or the, the preacher goes in and he says, but time and chance happens to them all. The idea here, folks, is that human ability is no guarantee for success. Time and chance happen to us all. I want you to take note of these words that I saw again, that under the sun, as we've understood um, from the very beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes, this phrase under the sun is uh, a reference or uh, an allusion to the, the realm of fallen man. And it stands in contrast to those who um, relate to their God and maker as he has called them to. So this, in this realm of fallen man under the sun, in this realm of fallen man, time and chance appear to be sovereign. In the realm that disregards the creator God, these seem, time and chance seem all powerful. Time and chance have the appearance of sovereignty as they take the control, as they take control out of the hands of humans. We might see, why do I plan anything? Why time and chance seem to rule over all things? Despite all of our careful planning, despite our agendas and our five-year plans and our two-year plans and just our daily schedule, and even being having great ability, church, You and I are not in control. Scripture has told us earlier, the the preacher has told us earlier in this book, that there is a time and a purpose for everything that is under heaven. 
When the preacher here speaks of chance, he is not talking about, he's not referring to fatalism, that we, oh well, let's just throw our hands up in the air, whatever happens, happens. That's not, um, the idea doesn't fit into anywhere. First of all, it doesn't fit into the entirety of Scripture. It certainly doesn't fit into what the, the preacher, the author of Ecclesiastes has stated so far. Chance is not fatalism. The idea here is that chance is a reference to life occurrences. And these are usually negative, but they are unplanned. So despite all of our accomplishments, we do not gain mastery of time and chance. I had planned well in my race. Everything was going exactly as I had planned. But life happens. And sometimes life doesn't, (laughs) has its own agenda. Life happens. And our text today, the rest of our text today, is going to detail for us how we are to live that life with wisdom. How do we live a life that oftentimes throws us for a loop, oftentimes causes us to depart from our carefully planned agenda, that oftentimes reveals to us that maybe all of my skill, all of my learning, all of my understanding aren't really adequate for the task. How do we live that life that life with wisdom. Our text today, in our text today, we will see a, it has a lot to do with two subjects. Wisdom and folly. Wisdom and foolishness. So we're going to spend some time looking and defining and considering those two big themes. Wisdom and folly. I will eventually um, get to a definition of of how we are to understand wisdom and folly, but they are central to our text today. One of the things we will learn about wisdom is that wisdom is both valuable and vulnerable. It is valuable and it is also vulnerable. Wisdom can overcome strong opposition, and yet great wisdom can be undone quickly by a fool. It is valuable. It can overcome great obstacles and it is vulnerable. It takes just one fool to undo all that wisdom has built. And then ultimately what we will see or we will, one of the things we will see is we will have an exhortation to live wisely. An exhortation to guard wisdom. Be wise. I guess maybe that would be one of the great commands uh, of, of this text. Be wise. Live wisely. So, with that, let's uh, look a little bit more in depth at our text, and especially as we get into uh, verse 10, we're going to begin to see the, val- the wisdom is both valuable and vulnerable. So we're going to see the value and the vulnerability of wisdom. And first let's talk about how wisdom is valuable. And to do that, the author provides a story. It's the story of a small a small city that comes under siege by a great king. This is the first uh, or this is the the example that the author gives us. 
A story is provided that a small city is attacked by a strong king. The idea here is that responding in strength is not an option. Responding militarily is not really an option for this small city. It was being besieged. The other, the strong king had a superior military, had more people, had more soldiers, had siege works, had the ability to cut off supply to this city, had more arrows, more weapons, more swords, more spears. The small city was vulnerable and really had no military response. It could not respond in strength. And then we are told that in this small city that is overmatched militarily, there was a poor wise man. And through the wisdom of this poor wise man, he delivers. The city is delivered from this stronger king. And so here, uh, the preacher puts forth for us the value of wisdom. Wisdom accomplishes what strength could not. Wisdom accomplishes what military ability could could not. Wisdom accomplish what a whole host of soldiers could not. Wisdom accomplishes what strength could not. But then we are told that when the crisis is over, that poor wise man, the poor man and his wisdom were forgotten. So wisdom, the poor man in his wisdom delivers the city from this threat. And then once the crisis is over, the poor man and his wisdom are forgotten. And the implication here is that wealth and power were once again the means by which the city would exalt. They, in other words, they return to the way things were. One thing we can take from this certainly is that wisdom may not make us wealthy or famous, but it still is valuable. Wisdom is valuable even if it does not make you wealthy or does not increase your status. The idea here is that wealth has in, or wisdom has intrinsic value. It is valuable because it is valuable. And so seek wisdom. In fact, the preacher goes on and says that wisdom is better than might. And one of the things we should take note of is that wisdom comes from, oftentimes comes from an unlikely source. Here, a poor wise man, wisdom did not come to, to them from the king or from a great counselor or from a prophet or from anything like that or from uh, some uh, individual of great status in the city, but a poor man, one whom people would normally walk past and give no consideration to. Wisdom can often come from unexpected sources. And I think this is important for us who live in a scientific age, an age where we trust experts, where reason is exalted. Reason is exalted above revelation. Experience is is of greater value. And in this scientific age, we trust the experts, medical experts and politicians and scientists and education and a variety of, quote, experts. But wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. A doctor may have great knowledge and may know all the bones of the body and how they are connected. And a politician may know 
a politician knows. <laughs> Let me move on to a scientist. Scientists know a lot of stuff. But wisdom and knowledge are not the same things. Knowledge is merely having clarity of facts and having truths. But wisdom is the practical ability to make consistently good decisions in life. You may have a lot of knowledge, but you may not put that knowledge to good use. You still may flounder. So let's provide a definition uh, for wisdom, and this will be kind of our working definition as we go through our, our text today. Wisdom, then, is skillful living in alignment with the things of God. Skillful living in alignment with the revealed purposes of God. I don't think you can live wisely without taking into consideration the revealed will of God. Wisdom is the application of biblical principles to one's life, resulting in a Godward inclination of the heart. It is the application of biblical principles to one's life, which result in a Godward inclination of the heart. Wisdom is the ability to do life well in alignment to the revealed purposes of God. We assume that those who know much are equipped to apply that knowledge. But that's not always the case. And wisdom can come from people who may not have great training. Just you know, for, from a from a, a religious or a pastoral perspective, I can fill you guys fill your guys' heads with a lot of knowledge. And I think that's important. But wisdom is necessary to make application of the knowledge that we might be able to supply. I can, I can help you with knowledge. I don't know that I can help you with wisdom. That's something that is making application of the revealed purposes of God. The preacher goes on and talks about how wise words are better than shouting fools. And I wrote, rare is the silent fool. And then he gives this comparison between wisdom and folly. The wise give attention to wisdom. We, we live in a day where there's a lot of shouting going on. There's a lot of loud voices. And it may not just be vocal, it might be digital, it might be online, it might be in all caps in some social media account. But we live in a day where opposing voices are shouted down. Loud voices are given much attention, but our question is, are they the voices of wisdom? Just because they're loud does not mean that they are wise. And we live in a day where the loud voices, well, I shouldn't say that's not unique to our, this age, but loud voices are often the ones that get the attention. What is the, what is the little proverbial saying? The squeaky wheel gets the oil. Loud voices often get the attention, even though they may be a minority and even though what they're saying isn't wisdom. Wisdom. 
I think maybe one of the great passages of text that can help us understand this well is in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, and I'll also read um, from verse 32. But listen to Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I want you to take note, although they knew God, they had the information, the data was there. They knew God. But they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him and they became Fools. When we turn and look a little later on in this text, I'll just read from verse 29 through 32. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, all unrighteous evil, covetous and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let me summarize this. They not only know God's righteous commands, but they know the consequences. They are filled with knowledge, but God calls them fools. Because they are not living life in alignment with the revealed purposes of God. This is not an issue of information. This is not a matter of data. They have plenty of it. They know God. And they know that those who disobey Him will face just consequences but they continue to shout and give approval to those who oppose the things of God. And here we probably see, a little bit I'll give a definition of a fool, but here we see a classic example of a fool. They know God's righteous decree, and they know the consequences, and yet they pursue them anyways. Just a quick summary of where we have been so far. We have considered the value of wisdom. We provided a definition of wisdom. And now the preacher is going to move on and demonstrate the vulnerability of wisdom. Wisdom is of great value. It can do what strength and might and finances cannot do. It is something that um, requires, I think, at the very basis that we need to um, align ourselves with God's purposes for, for wisdom and so now we, so we have seen the, the, the value of wisdom. The preacher now is going to help us understand the vulnerability 
of wisdom, the other side. That is, wisdom is vulnerable. I guess I've got to go back to Ecclesiastes. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words not heard. The words of the wise, heard and quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Wisdom is better than strength, and yet a one fool destroys what wisdom creates. How quickly years of hard work can be destroyed. And let me just say, this destruction might be self-inflicted, such as... A pastor spends his time in a church working hard and building it up and, 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 and gaining favor. And then, after years, greed overtakes him. And he uses the people for his own selfish gain. And how quickly his kingdom collapses. It doesn't take much. Or a mother with her children raising her family well and then in a moment of foolishness gives herself to another man that is not her husband and how quickly the family is destroyed. The folly, the, the vulnerability of wisdom may be self-inflicted but sometimes the destruction comes from outside, that is, from another, that is, who's, who's a fool. And you probably all experience this. People like bosses, husbands, wives, church leaders can, quote, throw their weight around and bring destruction and harm to life. You, you've, you've spent years or months, decades, building your the department at your school or at your business, and then you get a new boss. And that fool comes along and with one decision, all that you have worked hard for collapses. Wisdom is vulnerable. It doesn't take much. This can be, like I said, in the workplace. It can be in the family. Husbands who want to throw their weight around and show that, look, I'm the man of the house and bring down what wisdom has built. And church leaders, we are vulnerable to the vulnerabilities of wisdom. We can quickly bring destruction and harm to life. The preacher then gives us this proverb. It may not make much sense to you, but would be very relevant in the day in which he wrote. A sm- basically, he says, um, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment stink. And so, he interprets it, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. I guess the way we could put this is that a small amount of foolishness can destroy what wisdom has taken years to establish. Wisdom can overcome great obstacles. Wisdom can win battles. We've seen that. But foolishness can undo all of that rapidly. The exhortation then is, church, be wise. 
Christian, pursue wisdom. He then goes on and says, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart inclines him to the left. Basically, in Scripture, the right hand would have been the place of honor, the place of strength, the place of um, exaltation, if you will. The place of honor, whereas the left, not so much a place of dishonor, but certainly one of less honor. The left, the right hand is the place of blessing and honor and power. The left, less so. So here, wisdom that seeks what is honorable while the fool is less concerned about honor. He's concerned with what is less valuable. In other words, he's going in the wrong direction. And I do want to make, make certain we understand, note the emphasis on the heart. The heart. A wise man's heart inclines him to that which is more honorable, whereas the heart of the fool leads him to that which is less honorable. This is about their heart, not their intellect. So let me delve just a hair deeper into wisdom and folly. Wisdom and folly are matters of the heart. That is, the center of affection. We might define the heart, the center of one's affection. Uh, That is, what do you hold dear? What is valuable to you? The center of affection, the, the, the heart is the center of our affections, the center of that which we hold dear. And here, the direction, the, the wise man, the direction of his heart um, leans to that which is honorable, whereas the direction of the left uh, leads, the fool goes to that which is less honorable. The direction of the heart is manifested then in our actions. The wisdom, the direction of our heart is manifested in a person's lifestyle. How do we know you're wise? We can just see how you live. This also then requires requires that wisdom demands a transformed heart. Wisdom demands a transformed heart. If the heart is that which is more honorable, and if wisdom has God and his decrees as the very source, then wisdom requires a transformed heart. And now we face a dilemma. Because Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. And yet, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. Well, now we have a bit of a dilemma. The heart is deceitful. And yet, we are to love God with all of our heart. I hope that by the time we get to the end of this message, we can resolve that dilemma. The dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. The fall, in other words, the folly of the fool goes before him. He openly affirms his true nature. The fool cannot hide the inclinations of his heart. The fool does not simply say, doesn't get out there and say, I'm a fool, but his actions give us all the evidence we need. 
Nobody gets up and says, hey, everybody, I'm so-and-so, and and I'm a fool. But we all might say, yeah, that person's a fool. His actions display, his actions say what his words do not. He's speaking brash, loud, foolish things. So we have defined wisdom. Perhaps now we should consider a biblical definition of folly. Folly or foolishness is not somebody with a low IQ. Rather, the term refers to somebody who lacks the proper fear of God and is therefore prone to go the wrong direction in life. Someone who lacks the proper fear of God and is therefore prone to go in the wrong direction in life. Again, we see the fear of God at the very center of both wisdom and folly. The wise fears God and keeps his commandments. The fool disregards the commandments of God and hence goes in the wrong way. We've, so we've been given the way of the wise and been given the way of the fool. The admonition here would then, don't be a fool. But I'll ask this question, what direction are you going in life? Which way is your heart leaning? Is it leaning towards the things of God or away from the things of God? Many people come and they ask me, they're looking for direction in their lives and I would answer them that it begins with a transformed life or a transformed heart. So what direction are you going? Are you leaning more towards God or are you leaning more away from God? One is the course of wisdom and the other is the course of the fool. In the remainder of our text today, we will, I will just entitle this kind of practical application, and it is live wisely. And the preacher gives us, I'm going to say, four big pictures. I'm not going to go into great detail of every verse. Um, we would be here till Friday, and we just don't have enough food to feed you all, so... And I know some of you are going, well, that's fine. Friday's good. <laughs> I know this church. <laughs> so they're going, well, what's the problem with that? But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be here till Friday. So um, four big pictures. And in these big pictures, or these, these larger themes, the, the preacher, the author of our text, is going to encourage his readers to live wisely. So let's look at the first big picture, and I'm going to title this Wisdom and Anger, verses, depending, 4 through 7 or 5 through 7. I'll start with 4. If the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in low places. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So here, wisdom and anger. The value of calmness 
in the midst of unjust authority. This idea, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. You can go back and listen to or see the notes on chapter 8, especially verse 3. Um, this phrasing is, is dealt with there. This do not leave your place would likely refer to rebellion, active rebellion against um, the ruler responding to anger with anger may not be the best response. I expected an amen there. I thought somebody had, had done that at some point. Maybe y'all are a little bit more righteous than me, but I've responded with anger to ang- with anger with anger, and it hasn't always been the best result. One of the things we can also take from this is that those who are of high status are not exempt from folly. Just as we saw earlier that the um, wisdom may come from the lowly of status, foolishness can come from those of high status. They are not exempt from folly. We are instructed to remain calm and not reactionary. We are called to live out the character of Christ. Remaining in the midst, remaining calm in the midst of a leader's folly has merit. And I think maybe one of the best biblical examples I can think of uh, to explain this is the situation of Abigail. Do you remember that story? So David, he's not, he's king, but he's not like in the position of king. He's still being chased around the desert um, uh, and he's not yet ruling as king. And he's being chased around the desert and basically he had helped out the servants of a man by the name of Nabal. Now it's interesting because Nabal was a fool. In fact, his name is Nabal, means fool. And Nabal acts in accordance with his character. He acts like a fool and he does not um, honor David's request. And so David said, well, I'm just going to go and kill the guy. Let's just go slaughter him. Listen, we've been taking care of him. Let's just go slaughter the fool. And so he's going. Nabal's wife, Abigail, intercepts David and intercedes on behalf of her foolish husband. He's an angry man. David's an angry man. And Abigail steps into the midst of these fools and pleads and provides wisdom to David. Fortunately, David listens, but he, she provides wisdom on how this, a better way to work this out. Listen, put your sword away. I know my husband's a fool. Listen, we can take care of this. And so Abigail steps in to the place. And so in the midst of the leader's folly, Abigail comes and brings a calm resolution to this issue. So I would encourage you to look that up and and read about um, Abigail in that situation. Proverbs chapter 25, 15 might also prove helpful for us. Um, With patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded. And so, um, live wisely. Those of high status are not exempt from folly. Remain calm in the midst of a leader's folly. Um, There is merit to that. Two angry people is not better than one. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 helps us with this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And so, no matter how well you have planned, sometimes someone will provide, will provoke you to anger. So no matter how well you've planned, no matter how well-trained you are in a, in a skill, someone, someone will provoke you to anger. And the preacher gives us a broad understanding. Remain calm. Don't respond in anger. Two angry people isn't going to solve anything. You can read James 1.5 for that and, and, follow it, and following. So, wisdom and anger. That's the first big broad category that the preacher wants to deal with. The second broad category is wisdom and work. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Wisdom and work, I think maybe one of the best, I don't this would mean helpful to me. I, somebody told me this years and years and years and years ago, and it's still meaningful. I think it's wise words, and that is uh, measure twice, cut once. That's the idea. Work wisely. Something of value can be undone by a small error. And so knowledge of how you do your job is important. Wisdom in your job will, will help keep you from harm. It will make your path easier. But church, life is not safe. Work can be dangerous. But wisdom applied to your job will help keep you from falling into the pit that you dug or being bit by the snake that you haven't yet charmed. And I know that's really relevant to all. I know we got a lot of snake charmers in here, and so I hope you'll pay attention to that. Another interesting element here is the common laborer here is guided by wisdom. Once again, wisdom is not the exclusive possession of the privilege. This is wisdom for the common laborer, the guy who digs pits, the person who chops wood, the person who charms a snake. And let me just go ahead and add the, how the scripture regards labor. Scripture is, work is highly regarded in scripture. We are called to work. It is one way that we serve our family and serve our neighbor. Do you want to love your neighbor? Go to work. How? Well, by going to work, you serve your family by providing for them, and you serve your neighbor because maybe you have a little left over and you can give some bread to your neighbor. So work, work wisely, work safely. We also see then wisdom with words. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what it is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way of the city. 
The wise speak in a manner that gains favor. The Bible tells us that out of the heart the mouth speaks, but the words of the fool consume him. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 26 might prove helpful here. 18.26 or 18.2 and 6. 18.2 A fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion. And verse 6 A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Those are wise words. 17.28 says... Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Wisdom in words. The words of the fool consume him, but wise words. Um, uh, a wise person is slow to speech, James 1.9 tells us. And sometimes it is better to say nothing. I guess wisdom tells us, when do I need to say nothing and when do I need to speak up? That's where we need wisdom. Because I don't know about you, I usually speak up when I should remain silent and I remain silent when I ought to speak up. That's just, that's just me. I need wisdom for that. A wise person is slow to speak. The wise give praise to God. The wise encourage their brothers and sisters. The wise refrain from boasting. The wise speak uh, the truth with their neighbor. The wise ask for forgiveness. This is wise speech. And then finally, wisdom and government. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time there. But what we do see here is a picture of decadence uh, contrasted with dignity. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are the... They're just... Those aren't morning activities in the era in which the, king, the, the preacher is writing. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. In other words, this is a picture of decadence contrasted with a picture of dignity. Happy is the land when your rulers act in a dignified way and do not um, engage in decadence. The land is happy when the king has some experience. I think the idea here is when the king is mature. And then finally, do not curse the king. It will not remain secret. And I'll let you just deal with that one on your own. Let me uh, bring this message to um, a conclusion, and I really mean it. To conclude, I'm going to say, let's, let's apply wisdom. So, so how, how do we apply this, this, this wisdom? We will begin with a passage of text that we have repeated as we've gone through. It has been really prevalent in the, the application side of the book of Ecclesiastes. And that is 1 Corinthians 1.25, which informs us that Jesus is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.25 I think it's 25 I am 
24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So to be wise, one must first submit to the source of wisdom. Here in 1 Corinthians, the wisdom of God is seen in the cross. That is, the cross, which is the instrument of shame, is the means by which God brought salvation to mankind through his son, Jesus Christ. And this act of Christ is viewed by many as folly. It doesn't fit with human reason. It eschews, the cross eschews power and prestige and education and status and intellect. All that is highly regarded by worldly systems is put to shame by the cross. The cross is seen as Foolish to those who are perishing, but to those who are um, being saved, it is the wisdom of God. And Christ is portrayed here as the wisdom of God. When we speak about the incarnation, the sinless life, the death, the resurrection of Christ, that is viewed as wisdom of God. How do you view it? Do our lives in the workplace, do our lives at home and in our conversations reflect that we believe that Christ is the wisdom of God and he is our wisdom. If we want wisdom and knowledge, we must see that he is that to us in his death, burial and resurrection. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Let him act in faith. Do you want wisdom? The first place to begin is to seek out the source of wisdom and that is the person of Christ specifically in his life, death, burial and resurrection which puts on display the very wisdom of God. We are not too surprised when people reject that message. And I would encourage you to be wise, to repent and ask Christ to save us from our sin through his work on the Christ cross. And we will submit to him as the Lord and live for his glory. This is the wisest act anyone can perform. Our gracious Lord, you have blessed us. We thank you for the words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes. They are humbling. They are difficult. They are valuable. We thank you, Lord God, that we can understand that wisdom is of great value. While it is vulnerable, it is certainly of great value. And we, I pray, Father God, that we be a church, that we be men and women and kids who seek out wisdom. The wisdom is found in following you and aligning ourselves with your purposes. So help us, Lord God, be men and women of wisdom. And let that be portrayed in our homes, Lord God, that husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and grandparents and grandmothers and grandfathers, Lord God, live wisely in their homes. That we live wisely amongst our neighbors, Lord God, that they see the glory of God in our wise living, that we are wise workers, Lord God. We display wisdom. We are not fools. So help us, Lord God, to be men and women who pursue wisdom and eschew foolishness. We ask this for Christ's sake. Amen.